All right. Can we thank the worship team? They did an amazing job. Thank you, guys. It is... Um, uh, just a blessing to be able to get together and share God's word together. You know, the, the, for us just to be able to freely do this, to come together in these moments, to open up God's word together and, 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 uh, and search it and say, Lord, search my heart. Father, let me do this in community with brothers and sisters. Let's do this freely. We, we, we take it for granted. And we forget that you know, some of the earliest believers literally were hiding in catacombs to do this. There are places in the world where they have to give secret signals as to where they're going to meet. We, we, we're, we have been given such an incredible blessing. Now, there's one author who, who you know, literally traveled the world to where, where the church is being persecuted all over this world. And, and he wondered, he said, how do you feel that, you know, in, in, uh, in most of the Western countries like America that we can gather freely? Does that bother you? He's like, no. He says, I'm glad for it. He says, what I desire more than anything is that, that you all would take it seriously. We're glad you have what we don't have. See it as the blessing and privilege and may God use you through it. What a blessing and privilege. And we've been in this series about having this love relationship, having this, this walk with, with, with God that's real, having a real relationship with Christ. And, and, the, and last week, uh, Pastor Terry was talking about how much God desires this love relationship with us. And this is kind of part two of that. That's love relationship, walking with God. You know, we know God is always at work. He never sleeps. Jesus said, the Father and I are working until now. I am working. And we know he is pursuing us. He wants a true relationship with us. At the Last Supper, this is amazing. At the Last Supper, he says this. He said, let me tell you something. There isn't any greater love that a person has than if they lay their life down for a friend. Why is he saying that? Because he's about to lay his life down. He says, why am I telling you that? Because you're no longer my servants. I'm not looking for servants. You're my friend. The living Lord says, you're my friend. How do you know? Because I'm laying my life down for you. Because that's the greatest love I could possibly show you. He wants a relationship with you and with me that's real, that's personal. I remember when I first started walking with the Lord. This is, I was thinking about Going back, do this sometime if you've been walking with the Lord any number of years. Go back and just look at your life like a movie. And look at all those places where your life, the Lord revealed himself to you in special ways and in certain ways. And there was this one particular time. I'm going to go all the way back to I was 11 years old and I first gave my life to Christ. I grew up and, you know, it was in, uh, was in church. I, I knew about God. I knew the Bible stories and I knew all that, but I didn't have a relationship with Christ. When I was 11 years old after vacation Bible school, I went to a David Wilkerson crusade and Jesus opened my eyes to who he was and he was real. But this particular night I was laying in bed and I was in deep angst because I was an 11 year old boy who was about to get in trouble again. Yeah, I had, there was a, back then, in, when you went to school, um, 
and you took a test, the school I went to, you had to bring the test home and your parents had to sign the test to verify they saw your grade. Every single one of them, all your tests, they had to sign and verify. And I, you know, 11-year-old boy, I can't tell you how many times I forgot to bring it home. I wasn't trying to hide. I wasn't trying to be bad. I just forgot. I would just leave it and not bring it home. And it happened this one night. I forgot to bring it home again. And I go, I am in trouble again. I mean, as problems of the world go, this is not a major problem. But for an 11-year-old boy who's about to get in trouble again, it was a major problem. And I'm laying there, and I'm crying out to God. I didn't even know how to pray. I prayed a prayer after a TV show I watched. I remembered that prayer on that show, and I used that format to pray this prayer. And I prayed that God would somehow, I didn't, it was impossible to me. How in the world, get, my parents are going to take me to school the next day. The paper's there. There's no way I can get it signed. It's there. They're there. The paper's there. My parents are here. It can't happen. And I went, Lord, if there's any way, I don't know how this can happen. I'm going to get in trouble again. I don't want to get in trouble. And I went to bed just completely, well, I was just going to get in trouble. The next morning when I woke up, I'm going to tell you, God spoke to me. If it was audible, it wouldn't have been any louder. I knew that I knew that I knew exactly what to do. And I knew it wasn't my, I knew I didn't come up with it. I literally jumped out of bed. ha. <laughs> Ah, that's the answer. That's the solution. Now, the solution is very simple. It's very easy. You say anybody could have come up with it. I couldn't. But here it was when my, my parents took me to school. I told my mom, I said, wait right here. Don't leave. I ran in real fast, got the paper, brought it out and had her sign it. It was a solution God gave me that worked many times after that. <laughs> but here's my point. Here's my point. I'm trying to share with you, you know, this is, this is the difficulty in this relationship we have with the Lord. All I can do is testify to what he has done in my life. He is real and personal. You can either accept it or not. But I know Jesus loved me in that moment. I know that he did. And he wants to call you friend. He wants to call me friend. But here's the thing. It does no good for God to pursue us if we don't pursue him back. There is literally no relationship if he's constantly pursuing us and we are not reciprocating to him. I'm going to ask you quite point, point blank. How many of us say, you don't have to raise your hand, you don't have to turn to your neighbor next to you or anything like that. How many of us say, I have a relationship with Jesus Christ? And then also say, I'm spending time with Jesus because if we're not spending time with Jesus, how can we say we have a relationship? How can you have a relationship with someone you don't spend time with? If you're married, you know that dilemma. If you're not spending time, are you actually having a relationship? You see, Jesus says this. He says, many are called, but few are chosen. Many are called, but few are chosen. It's not that God's not pursuing a relationship with us. It's that few of us actually choose to walk in it. Henry Blackaby was, tells a story where he, um, um, uh, he used to get on a monthly phone call with um, multiple Fortune 500 uh, uh, CEOs. And it would get on once a month just to 
disciple. These were believers, and they wanted to be discipled. They want to walk in their faith. And he told them, he says, listen, if you're not spending time with Jesus first thing every morning, you have to question whether or not you have a, a, a real relationship with Jesus. And one of the CEOs was, was talking to Henry. He goes, you don't understand my day. I mean, I am up early in the morning. I go till late at night. I got so much to do and so much to take care of. How in the world can I spend time with Jesus? And he said, well, if it were me and I had all that, and I, and I really uh, uh, believe that the God of the universe understood and knew all things, I think I might want to spend time with him before I had to take care of all that. He went, huh. The next month he called him back and he says, you're not going to believe this. The first time in my life, every day I spent time with Jesus, the first time in my life and all the time I've been in business that I led somebody to Jesus in the company. You see, if we don't spend time with Jesus, we don't become like Jesus. If we don't become like Jesus, are we a disciple? Because what's a disciple? A disciple is one who thinks and acts like Jesus. All right. Blackaby says this. I keep that time alone with God, not in order to have, uh, to have a relationship, but because I have a relationship. I love that. I keep that time alone not in order to have a relationship. It doesn't earn me a relationship. It's because I have a relationship. I hear many people, Henry says, uh, that say, I really struggle trying to have a time alone with God. If that is a problem you face, let me suggest something. Make the priority of your life to love him with all your heart. Make the priority of your life to love him with all your heart. And that's where we're going to go this morning. You see, I can give you, there's tons of ways I can tell you. Here's ways to spend. Here's things you can do. All I'm going to tell you is this as far as that goes. You need to spend time in his word. However you can, in whatever way you can, in all of its form and fashions. Reading his word. Listening to his word. Listening to sermons about his word. Listening to songs that are specifically scripture. uh, uh, Talking about it. Meditating it. There are so many ways we can spend time in his word. I'm not going to give you today this message. That's not the point of it. My point of it is to get to the motivation of it, the heart of it. How do we be motivated and have a heart to do it? All right. So I'm going to say what we we do this. It's very simple. Why do we do the things we do? We do what we value. We don't do them based on reason. Right? Because everybody knows on New Year's Eve, I should be exercising every day. We make the resolution. We buy the gym membership and it doesn't last. Even though we know we should do it, we don't value it. We value other things. Probably sleep in the morning, but that's okay. We do what we value. So what does that mean? How do we, what are the keys to developing this walk with Jesus? There are three keys I'm going to offer to you in which we develop our love relationship with Jesus. How do we develop our love relationship with Jesus? I say three keys. Number one, understand who God is. Number two, understand and commit to your purpose, why you were created. Wrong way. And number three, make Jesus your first love. Understand who God is. Understand and commit to your purpose and make Jesus your first love. So we're going to start with understand who God is. There is a, uh, there's a great book. I highly recommend it. It's, um, it's a uh, just out brand new book. It's the American Worldview Inventory by George Barna for 22 and 23. And he points out in there that there are literally seven foundations for the Christian. That if you do not have these foundations in your life, the chances you will ever develop a biblical worldview are almost none. 
And in fact, if you're not teaching them to your children, the chances that they develop a biblical worldview are almost none. So we're going to borrow from a few of those foundations uh, that, that he has. We're not going to go through all of them. We're going to borrow from a few of them as we make these key points. So point number one, understand who God is. We need to understand who God is. And this is what, um, this is what Barna says. I love this. God is key foundation in our life. God is the all-powerful, all-knowing, perfect, just creator of the universe who rules that universe today. God is the all-powerful, all-knowing, perfect, just creator of the universe who rules that universe today. Let's break that down. Oops. How many know God is all-powerful? He's, uh, he visits Abraham, and, he tell, and he's been promising Abraham a son, and he tells Abraham, and Sarah's in the other tent. And he says, Abraham, listen, a year from now I'm going to come back, and you're going to have a son, and Sarah, over there, she's going to be the mama. They're, they're like way past, you know, uh, she's like 80 and he's near 100. They're going to have children? Like, that's not going to happen. So Sarah's over in the other tent laughing, right? And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. Job, at the end of, of a, 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 a massive time of suffering and, and not understanding all of the pain that he's going through and everything that's happened, Job says this. He says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. All through all that suffering, what he came to understand is God is all-powerful. Jeremiah says, ah, Lord God, it is you who made the heavens and the earth by your great power, by your outstretched arms. Nothing is too hard for you. Behold, I am the Lord God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me, the Lord says? Jesus says, but, but Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. Nothing is impossible for God. Listen, here's the simple question. How big is your God? How big is your God? Is God all-powerful? Do you understand that? God is not a mere human. He's not limited like us. There is nothing we do to compete, to manipulate, or coerce God. So number one, he's all-powerful. Number two, he's all-knowing. He's all-knowing. Hebrews 4.13, no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to to the eyes of whom we must give an account. There is nothing hidden. There is nothing that we can do that hides from God. Every single one of us, Jesus says, are going to stand before the judgment seat of God. And when we do, there's nothing hidden. There's no way we're going to be able to say, you know this, anybody has kids, they know this. We know how to make ourselves look better than we are, right? Well, you see, but what had happened was, we're not going to do that before God. He literally knows all things. We can't distort the facts to make us look better or to protect ourselves. In Genesis, that scene, what did Sarah try to do? Oh, but, but she denied it. She says, oh, Lord, I didn't laugh. Lord was like, no, you did. God is all-powerful. He is all-knowing, and God is perfect. Psalm 18 says, this God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. 
James says, every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variation or shadow due to his change. The very character and nature of God is literally perfection, perfect love. Nothing changes in him. There is no, no turning in him. He is perfect in all respects. When we contemplate that and think about that, it should literally cause our minds to marvel. Who are you, God? Who are you? You're this all-powerful God. You're all-knowing. You're perfect. And he is just. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, Paul said, is the power of God for salvation. The gospel can bring the power of salvation to who? To everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. Why? For in it, The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Righteousness is another word for justice. God makes all things right for those who come to him in faith. And it says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Listen, God is just. And he offers his just righteousness to every one of us who come to him in faith. But he brings his wrath to all who refuse. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us, to wash us of unrighteousness. That means literally God embodies all truth and wisdom. It's found in him. There is no truth and wisdom that is actual truth and wisdom found outside of God. Nothing. God is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is perfect. He is just. He is creator. For by him, Paul says, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things. In him, all things hold together. Listen, Pastor Zeke was talking earlier about uh, we're going to be looking in in the youth at at certain science lessons. And I'm going to tell you, if you've studied science at all, you can be absolutely fascinated when you study the macro view of the universe. And you look at how vast the universe it is and all the mysteries of the universe, things we don't know and all that's out there. Or if you study the micro view of the universe and you keep getting infinitely smaller and smaller to subatomic particles and all this vast mystery of things we don't know. And then if you were to step back... If all of that is all inspiring, step back and think about the one who created it. Who put it all in here before any of it came to pass and who sustains it and keeps it all happening. He is the creator and he's not only the creator of all that, he's the creator of you. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, once again I ask, how big is your God? God is all-powerful, he's all-knowing, he's perfect, he's just, he's the creator, and he rules the universe today. In Hebrews chapter 3, I mean chapter 1, verse 2, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. God has spoken to us now by Jesus. Are you spending time with him? Is he speaking to you? In these last days, Jesus is calling Many are called. Are you chosen? Few are chosen. 
He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And listen, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. I've told this story before. Many of you remember it. But, you know, as my wife says, you got to go get some new stories. Not this time. This is a true story. This true story. This dad was trying to explain to his son how big God was. I've never forgotten this. I remember the, the expressions on the faces as the story is being told. And he's trying to say, God is so big. God is so big. Going all these, all these things he's saying. And finally he says this. He says, listen, God is so big. If he just blinks, we all stop existing. And the little boy looks at him and goes, does God know that? The scripture literally tells us that the very solid foundation we're standing on only exists because Jesus is upholding it by his word. Who is your God? How big is your God? What is he holding up? Is that who your God is? God's not simply a higher power, a mystical unknown divine, a life force in the universe we tap into. He is the one who created and sustains everything, including you, says Barna, that exists. He is all-powerful, all-knowing, loving, just, merciful, reliable creator who is also our companion, an unerring guide for life. He is a unique presence who wants a relationship with us. Go figure! Barna didn't say that. Really? That relationship, therefore, must serve as the focus of our lives. We were created by him, for him, and we will ultimately answer to him. That is exactly the God who creates us, knows us, observes us, and loves us. So the first key to spending time with God is knowing before whom you have come. Is that the God you look forward to spending time with? That's the one that looks forward to spending time with you. Number two, understand and commit to your purpose. We're going to spend, we're going to go through the next two a little bit faster. Not because they're less important, but because it all starts with the person and being of God. So number two, if that is who God is, understand and commit to your purpose. Do you know right now, this is an actual statistic. Uh, it's something like um, 90, 96% of Americans believe that we have a purpose in life. Only 4% of Americans actually know what that purpose truly and really is. And let me tell you what it is. You want to know what your ultimate purpose is. It's very simple. The ultimate purpose of human life is to know, love, and serve God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, period. If you're living for anything else, you're living outside of your created purpose. 
the ultimate purpose of your life is to know, love, and serve God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. How do we know? Who's God? When we start with who's God and we come to us, what are we living for? What are we living for? Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall. It's not, it's a good idea. It might help you with. Human flourishing happens when. The very meaning of your existence. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words, I command you today, shall. It's not a good suggestion. It's not a maybe. Shall be on your heart. He's telling us what it means to love him with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be frontlets between your eyes, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. There is nothing that you shall do in life in which you shall not have him in. It. Do you want to know how you develop a desire to have time with Jesus? Know why you're here. Know whom before you come and know why you're here. When we don't know why we're here, of course we struggle with trying to have time with Jesus because we're living for everything else but him. Let me tell you what our purpose is not. It's not creating a more humane society through reason, dialogue, and goodwill. It's not advancing world peace and understanding. It's not achieving individual pleasure. It's not producing personal happiness, order, direction, or fulfillment. Are all those things bad? Not if they're done in Jesus and he's leading you. But if you're trying to do it on your own, that's you being God, not him. We're created to reflect God, to be his imagers, to honor him. Anything short, check this out, anything short of that leads us to be disappointed, frustrated, suffer, confused, in misery, and depression. You see, falling short of our purpose is not simply an offense against God. It's against, against our being. It hurts us. We're the ones who lose. Not God. God doesn't lose. We do. This isn't a message to make us feel bad. This is a message to get us to the place where we can be everything he created us to be. So that takes us to the second part of this. To understand and commit to your purpose, you need to know what your purpose is, and you need to know what success on earth is. Success on earth, very simply defined. I love this. This is another one of the foundations. Success on earth is best understood as consistent obedience to God in your thoughts, your words, and your actions. Everything you do, consistently obeying God. That's success. Do you want to be successful? Well, let me ask you this. What are you teaching your children success is? Ask your children what they see in your life. They'll tell you. Matthew said, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Why? Because literally, because moth and rust destroys those things. 
thieves break in and steal those things. We spend all our time laying up treasures on earth that, can be, that are going to be rotten away or stolen. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust neither destroys, where thieves can't steal and break in. Let me tell you what success is not. It's not measured by wealth, fame, achievement, power, sexual fulfillment, knowledge, prestige, happiness, health and productivity, personal goodness, highest potential, highest consciousness. None of that is success. Why? Because we were created by God for God and we will answer to God. We were created by God for God and when we answer to God. The Bible says we got one shot at this. That's my paraphrase. It's, you know, what it actually says is, it is appointed unto man to, to, to die once and then the judgment. Hebrews 9.27. We got one shot at this. Does that change how we measure success? Matthew 16. For what will it profit a man if he literally gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? What will a man give in return for his soul? What will you give in return for your soul? What's your soul worth? Jim Elliott, he, was, he, 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 uh, um, he and four other guys decided they were going to take the gospel to the Alka Indians. They planned it for months, years. They worked on this. And, and, and finally the day comes that they're going to do this. And the moment they make connection with the Alka Indians, every single one of them are killed. And then two of their wives go in and spend years among the people who killed them to give them the word of God. And this is what Jim Elliot said. He is no fool who gives up what he can't keep to gain what he can't lose. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And so finally, do you want to walk with Jesus? There are three keys. Who is your God? Know whom before you have come. Number two, Understand and commit to your life purpose. And number three, make Jesus your first love. Make Jesus your first love. Now, how do we make Jesus our first love? I'm going to tell you, for me, understanding this comes from this foundation right here. All human beings are sinful by nature. Every choice we make has a moral contour and consequences. Um, what does that mean? Let me tell you what that means. It's very simple. There's a picture in the gospel. Jesus is preaching uh, and, and he gets into Peter's boat and he tells Peter to drop his net down and this amazing catch comes in and Peter looks at Jesus and all of a sudden understands who he is. He falls down on his knees and he says, leave me, I'm sinful. Have you come face to face with your rebellion? Or are you just pretty much a good guy and God's you know, lucky to have you on his team. Have you understood your life literally is an offensive to the living God? And that if he doesn't send his son to die, listen, how bad does it have to be that the only solution to it is Jesus, the, the living God coming in, into flesh and dying on the cross so that we can be free? Oh, but I'm basically a good guy. You didn't really need to do that for me, Jesus. When we have come to understand what it took to be reconciled to him, how can we have anything but a grateful heart for it?
Or are you all that good? There's a story. This is in Luke. It's in chapter 7. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Uh, it goes from 37 to 50. I'm just going to tell you about it. Jesus, one of the Pharisees, he's a good guy, right? He's a good guy because he invited Jesus over to his house. Hey, Jesus, come to the house, come to dinner. See how good I am? I'm a great host. And he comes over and he's hosting Jesus. And this woman comes walking in. And she's got a reputation as being unclean in society. She begins to weep on Jesus' feet. And washes his feet with her tears. And she takes her hair and begins to clean his feet with her hair. And she takes this perfume that is so expensive. Thousands of dollars. And breaks it open and pours it over his feet. And the Pharisee looks and goes, if he was actually a prophet, he wouldn't let that woman touch him. And Jesus looks at him and says, Simon, I, I have a question for you. Riddle me this, Simon. Riddle me this. Who loves more? The one who is forgiven much or the one who is forgiven little? <laughs> well, smart Pharisee, he can answer this. The one who's forgiven much. Wise answer, Simon. From the moment I walked in this door, Simon, you didn't give me water to wash my feet, thinking you're a great host. She hadn't stopped crying on them. You didn't have anything to dry them off. She hadn't stopped using her hair to clean them. You didn't pour out the finest you had. She poured out her perfume on them. You didn't even give me a hug. She can't stop kissing my feet. She loves me because she's been forgiven. And she knows it. Do you know you've been forgiven? Do you know how much you've been forgiven? Do you know how much you've been forgiven? Do you know how much? I can tell you how much. What did it take to get it? It took the living Lord dying, crucifixion, to get it. Is that the one you don't have enough time to spend time with? Is that the one you're struggling to figure out how you can spend a few minutes with him? Is that the one who say, you know, I know you gave me that word, but it's just not that important. Jesus wrote a letter. He wrote seven letters. This one was to the church in Ephesus. He says, this is the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand. You want to know who Jesus is? He holds the seven stars in his right hand. He walks among the golden lampstands in the heavens. And he says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but yet you have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake and have not grown weary. He's saying, I know all the good things you've done. I've seen you stand for truth. You have, you have stand for truth and righteousness in the middle of everyone going the other way. I've seen all that, but... 
this I have against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Jesus says to abandon him as our first love is to fall. Repent. Return. Come back. Do the works you did at first. When you remembered you were forgiven. When you remembered what he did for you. When you knew how big God was. When you understood your whole life was to live for him. Come back to that. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So let me ask you. We're closing out right now. Esteban. Is Jesus your first love? Is he your first love? Do you spend time with him? Look, I'm not asking, you know, like I said, there are all kinds of ways. I'm not prescribing the means. I'm just asking, is your heart chasing after him? If not, what's stopping you? Why not? The book, the book of the Bible opens up with God walking in the cool of the morning, in the garden, looking forward to spend time with his friends. And I tell you, he's still walking in the cool of the morning in the garden looking forward to spending time with his friends. He's just wondering if his friends will show up in the garden too. And what are the keys? The key is when we get our priorities right, we'll want to know who God is. Know who it is before whom you come, before whom you stand. Understand and commit to your purpose. Know why you're here and commit to it. And then make him your love priority. Amen.